0: So today, uh, we are talking about, and we're looking at the idea of truth. Uh, I think we live in a world today where uh, truth is increasingly more and more scarce. In fact, it seems like there are multiple outlets where you can get your uh, your truth from. And unfortunately, many of these truths, so-called truths, are conflicting with one another. Um, one, they are mutually exclusive from one another. And it's challenging to figure out, how do we maintain some semblance of um, truth in the world that that no longer holds on to truth. There is a book that I'd love for you guys to get uh, at your convenience. Um, It's a book that deals with the concept of truth. It's by a guy named D.A. Carson. He's a theologian. And uh, Carson basically argues in this book that there is an intolerance in the world right now because of a new form of tolerance that has evolved in the last 20 years. This was a lecture series that was given at Harvard, Princeton, and Yale and kind of set those campuses on fire. It was interesting because uh, what what Carson argues is that there used to be a kind of tolerance that we all had towards one another that allowed us to get along with each other, and that tolerance was based upon the idea that truth is not inside of us, but truth is outside of us. In other words, you know, as the X-Files say, the truth is out there somewhere, right? So, I would have tolerance for you because I would look at you and you would look at me and we would say to each other, I don't think we've quite arrived at the truth. In other words, I'm going to create arguments and you're going to create arguments, not conflict, but arguments, different philosophical ideas, right? We're going to debate something back and forth because the truth is out here somewhere and we're going to try to get to the truth. We were all committed to figuring out what truth is. Now, today, he says there's a new form of tolerance, which actually leads to a greater sense of intolerance in the world we live. This new tolerance basically says that we can't hold differing opinions from one another, but in fact, what we actually have to do is agree with each other on everything. Now, that's great if the new, and we, the way we hear this language is, uh, I'm just living my truth. You live your truth and I'll live my truth, which sounds really tolerant until something important arises, right? Like, for example, like if, I, if my truth is I like cupcakes better than cake, and you like cake, I can go, well, you be you, you do you. That's awesome. You like cake? Fantastic. I'm gonna eat cupcakes. That's what I'm gonna do. And if in those kind of scenarios, fine. But let's take it, let's take it more seriously for a second. Let's just let's just imagine that that there's something completely different on the table. Imagine that you go to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, hey man, you know, God forbid this happens to you. But doctor says to you, I'm so sorry, but you have cancer. Now, you have a response right there. And the response can either be to acknowledge the expertise of the doctor and say, you're qualified to give me truth in this area. Like for me, I'm not gonna get my science, especially medicine from the Bible. The Bible doesn't claim to be a medical textbook. It claims to have all the information you need to figure out your relationship with God and in this life. But, but, but science things like that, but say you go to the doctor, he says, hey, I, you've got cancer, I'm so sorry to tell you that. And your response is, Doctor, that's okay. That's your truth. I got my own truth. I'm gonna live my truth. I don't have cancer. I'm good to go. Now watch, you're the person watching this all unfold. You're the person who's actually there with the person at the medical appointment. Now, what do you do in that situation? Do you say, you be you, bro. You got this. You don't have cancer. That's his truth. You got your truth. Let's just go on. Move on. Let's move on. Now, I would argue right now that telling the truth The outside truth, not the inside truth, telling the truth that there's an actual reality to what we believe. In other words, there are real world consequences for the beliefs that you hold. The beliefs that you hold about other people have real world consequences in terms of your relationships with other people. The beliefs that you hold about God have real world consequences with your relationship with God. Your, real, your beliefs about your money have real world consequences about your money. You're gonna be good or bad with money based on your view, worldview of it. So you'd go to the doctor with this person and they say, the doctor says, hey, he's got cancer. Your response is, "Nah, man, you just do you. Is that loving? I would argue, no, it's not. In, for, in fact, what I'm gonna say is you can't say that you have a truth that conflicts with the truth. See, see that's what we're missing today in the world. That's, and we're going to look at this in the context of the scripture in a minute. But one of the things that we're missing and the reason why we're yelling at each other so much and the reason why we can't come to any kind of agreement is because we have to agree that everyone lives their own truth. But the problem with that is that if you live your own truth and it conflicts with someone else's truth, how do you ever solve that problem? It used to be that the problem was the truth is out here. I'm going to try to be patient with you as you're patient with me and we're going to try to figure out what this truth is together. We don't do that anymore. Now, unfortunately, we're just kind of screaming at each other, my truth is reality, your truth is reality, and neither one of those truths may be reality. Everything you believe in this life has a real-world consequence. So I believe that as I'm watching my friend do this, I'm going to say, hey, John, you need to listen to the doctor. He went to medical school. He knows what he's talking about. This guy's been in this profession for a long time. He's an expert. He has a better opinion of this than you do because it's based on reality. So when you deny reality in this moment, you're causing harm to yourself. And by the way, if I just say I'm not, I don't have cancer, it won't actually go away, it'll kill me one day. In very much the same way, unless we're able to acknowledge a truth that is outside of ourselves, we will always butt up against reality. We'll always hurt ourselves. And so if you wanna help your life and you don't wanna have excessive amounts of pain in your life, it's important for us to be able to understand what is really true. Because when we build our lives on lies, or errors, sometimes not lies, but just mistakes. If we build our lives on these things, those too have real world consequences. We can end up hurting the people that we love. We can end up hurting ourselves in the process. So as we enter into the text today, which is 1 John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6. The apostle John is writing to some Jewish uh, Christians and Jewish unbelievers. And what he's writing about is the trustworthiness of Jesus right? So when I was thinking about this message, I came up with four questions that I was thinking through. So let's take a look at the first two questions. First two questions. How do we know if something is really true? Like, how do we know? I mean, where do you get your information from? Do you get your information from celebrities? Right? I mean, do you get your, I mean, I went to go see the Top Gun movie. I loved it. I thought it was so great. I just wanted to punch people when I left. It was so great. Tell me I'm wrong, guys. Like, you just walk out of there. You're like, why didn't I join the Navy, right? Like, so, But so in those moments, like you walk out of that, you're all jazzed up. Like, but I'm not gonna look to Tom Cruise for my spiritual life. I'm just not. He's an excellent actor. He's a weirdo. But like, he's super, he's an excellent actor, right? But how do we know something's really true? Well, we have to find an expert in the area. We have to, we have to find somebody who knows what they're talking about in the area that we're trying to find the truth in. Who determines if something is true? Well, here's what we know. Um, someone who has no information or no knowledge and just has an opinion about something actually shouldn't be the person that determines what something is true or not. Like, for example, if I'm trying to figure out something that, like, is out in space, I'm not going to go to a history teacher. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to an astrophysicist and say, hey, tell me about this reality. Why? Because they studied that. They know that. That's what we're gonna do. And they're gonna give me information on that that's probably gonna be pretty reliable. Now, there are forms of information that are not true or false, like, for example, right? Um, for example, um, should you listen to country music or should you not? Clearly, this is a right or wrong, and the answer is, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, it's, you shouldn't. It deforms the brain. And, uh, and so, so that's science. I have a master's degree in science, okay? So, so that's not really that, right? It's an opinion. It's an opinion, right? So so which is better, blue or green? Those are opinions. And it's fine to hold differing opinions, but when it comes to factual things, number three and four. The third question I was thinking about was, is something true only if we believe it to be true? Is something true if we only believe it to be true? Now, this is a challenging one. Why? Because we live in Orlando, and we were raised and discipled by Walt Disney, who told us that we, if we can dream it, we can do it. Oh, that's not true necessarily, There's plenty of things, like for example, if you dream that country music will give you class, (laughs) it's just not true, it's just not true, it won't happen. Number four, is truth objective or is it subjective? Is it objective or subjective? Well, objective means is it outside of me or is it inside me? And what I want to argue today is that as Christians, we have to believe, it's not optional for us to believe that truth is just on the inside of us because we believe that we're fallen, we believe that we're sinful and we've made mistakes. And because of that, we can't always trust what's going on inside of us. So we need God's word on the outside of us and we need God himself on the outside of us to depend upon in order for us to be whole, in order for us not to fall into a trap, in order for us to be okay. So so John is writing right now and we're gonna do a little law school here today. We're gonna do a little law school today, okay? So verse six says this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood, It is the Holy Spirit who testifies because the Holy Spirit is truth. So the first thing that we see about truth in this passage is that God himself or the scriptures identify God himself as the truth. Right? He is the ultimate truth. He is the one who is knowledgeable about every subject matter in perfection. Why? Because he created everything that exists in the universe. And I love to think of science because, you know, I mean, if you've been around here a while, you know, I'm a guy who loves faith, but I also love science, right? And one of the beautiful things about studying physics or studying chemistry is that as you study these things, you get to discover how God created the entire universe. It's amazing. The Spirit is truth, God is the truth. So, John writes, This is the one who came by water and blood, and by the Spirit. Now, the reason why he brings these three things up is because in Jewish law, if you go to the Old Testament sometimes, you can look at some of the crimes that are, to- that, are- that are told inside the Old Testament, and then you can look at some of the punishments. And some of the punishments are really harsh, especially to our eyes today. Like, if this happens, you need to put this person to death. If this happens, this needs to happen, right? But the reason why the crime had such a terrible consequence. is because the burden of proof to prove something was actually really high. Like in our judicial system today, if I went to the, to, to the, the I almost said constable, I became English. And uh, if, I, if, I, if I went to the police officer and said, hey, um, I saw this guy, not you, but some guy kill someone else, right? If I said that, they would say, well, write this down. Let's take the thing. You're going to have to testify in court. And it'll be fine. We'll get this through it. We got to have some other evidence. That's all going to work out, right? That's how it works. In Judaism, it required three witnesses. So if I went to someone and said, I saw him kill his wife, and they're like, well, we don't know where she is. I'm like, that's because she's dead. You know, I saw it myself. They'd be like, no, we can't just take your eyewitness. You have to have two other witnesses. It was a huge burden to be able to prove uh, the crime. So when they did, there was a big consequence for it. One of the three witnesses is that John takes that concept of you must have three witnesses to testify, and he gives us three things that Jesus accomplished, water, blood, blood. And spirit, and all three of these testify to the fact that Jesus is who He said He was, and that He's trustworthy. Water, when Jesus was uh, uh, one day, when Jesus was walking around Galilee, he came upon he came upon John the Baptist. John the Apostle writes what we're talking about today. John the Baptist is a different guy. John the Baptist, um, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, he was he was prophesying and baptizing that Jesus one day would come. Well one day he's out baptizing and he sees Jesus come over the hill. And he stops. Now John is his cousin, but he's never met him. And he looks at he looks at Jesus and he says immediately the spirit testifies to this but says there he is. This is the one that I've been talking about. This this is this Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus comes to John and he's like, John, baptize me. And John's like, no, how can I baptize you? You're God. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm God. You better baptize me, right? Like, and so, jo- so John goes, okay, fine. And he baptizes Jesus in that moment. In that moment, the Bible tells us that the Father speaks from heaven and everybody present is able to hear it. and says, this is my son in whom... I am well pleased. At the same time, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. It's the only passage in all of the Bible where we have the three, the Trinity in one place with the Father speaking, the Son and the Holy Spirit present. So when Jesus came, he came to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies and laws that he had to do, it was necessary for him to be baptized. So when John's talking to the first century, he's saying, guys, he did everything he was supposed to do from the Old Testament in order to prove that he really was who he said he was. But he also came by blood. So if we go back all the way to the Garden of Eden, you've got Adam and you've got Eve. They basically choose at some point. We don't know how long they were in Eden before they made this choice, but at some point they choose that they are going to step outside of God's protection and try to find their happiness outside of God. In doing so, it introduces sin into their life and into the world. Now, one of the consequences of this is that when God goes looking for Adam and Eve, they're hiding from each other because now they realize they're naked for the first time. They're filled with shame. And what ends up happening, and by the way, guilt is I feel bad for something I've done. Shame is I am something wrong. And so here's Adam and Eve. They they now now experience not just we did something wrong, but I am something wrong. And they're hiding from each other. They no longer trust each other, and they're hiding from God. And what God does, and if this offends you, it should because it's designed to, right? But God takes an animal, and there no animals had died. Nothing had died. Everything was perfect and beautiful. They were going to live forever as long as they walk with God, but they didn't. And therefore, God took an animal and destroyed that animal, and then took the skins and placed them over Adam and Eve. To cover over their shame. And it was in the covering over the shame that Adam and Eve have their shame hidden. This is, the pre- this is the precursor to all of the Old Testament sacrifices. In the Old Testament, on the day of Yom Kippur, the priest, the high priest, would gather all of Israel together. And as he gathered Israel together, he would take a bull, again, designed to be gross and designed to be offensive. I'm sorry for the language. But he took a giant knife and he'd take the bull by the horn and he would pull it across his throat, and boom, all of a sudden, this blood would spill out of this bull. And what he would do is he would drench his arms in it, and he would hold it up before Israel, and he would say to all of Israel, see Israel, that your sin has killed, your sin has destroyed, sin is destructive. And he would wipe it on the altar. And all of this is like this preface to what ultimately would be the one sin sacrifice that would satisfy once and for all, all sin, and that would be Jesus. So here's Jesus on the cross, and as Jesus dies, beaten, bruised for our iniquities, pierced with his side with, a, with the soldier's spirit, Jesus dies, and he is done. His blood spilled for us. How does this fit with you today? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things you can't really do, I mean, you can, you can choose to live below your salvation, but you can't really walk around with a sense of shame. You can feel bad about some of the things you did. You can have conviction. But walking around with shame or walking around thinking that God doesn't think wonderful things about you is ultimately destructive to your spiritual life and a false theology. And here's the reason why. Because when the Father looks down from heaven, just like he, in the very, very, with, our, with our parents, just like he did with Adam and Eve, and he covered over their sin, Jesus' blood covers over your life. And when you and I say, I am not what God says I am, or I am horrible because I can't get rid of this sin that I just keep doing over and over again, I can't let go, you'll get over it, you'll get through it, but you don't try to get over it and through it by trying to stop the sin, you press into Jesus. Two different strategies. You can't stop drinking, you can't stop sleeping around. What you can do instead is you can press into Jesus so he changes your heart, desire, desire okay? So watch this. So when the Father looks down from heaven, as he looks down from heaven at you, he only sees the shed blood of Christ. And you go, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing right now. Like, I'm just, I've got some wickedness inside me. I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do with it. I understand that. And I've actually been exactly where you are. But here's what I would tell you. You cannot out-sin the blood of Jesus shed for your life. He's covered it thoroughly. He sees it no more. It's one of the most radical, and by the way, unfair things in the entire world. It's not unfair to us, it's unfair to God. His son had to die for us so that our shame could be dealt with. So Jesus came, he settled things with water, he settled things with blood, and also the spirit testifies to who he is. So let's take a look at another story that deals with truth. It is John chapter 18, verse 37. One day, the religious leaders took Jesus because his teachings were so radical and he was setting people free and he didn't want people to be bound in legalism. He basically brought them before the Pharisees, brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate. He's a Roman prefect, a judge. And so they say to him, they lie about Jesus and they say, he's pretending to be a king. He's trying to overthrow Caesar. And at that point in time, Caesar Nero was the Caesar in charge. And Nero was the bloodiest of the Caesars in the days of Jesus, for sure. I mean, he used to to have these lavish parties where he would light the roadway on the way into his party with Christians on fire. He hated Christians and Christianity altogether. So as Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate, he doesn't wanna deal with this. He's trying to deal with his own stuff. He's got stuff to do like all of us do. And so he's like, what's this religious squabble all about? So Pontius Pilate comes and he says this, he questions Jesus. Verse 37, so Jesus... You're a king then, huh? That's that's who you are? And Jesus answered, "You say that I'm a king, smart Alec." <laughs> In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So the reason why he if you notice he didn't answer his question. And if you do your own study on this, it's fascinating. Jesus doesn't answer the questions of people a lot of the time. And the reason why he doesn't do that is because, just like Pontius Pilate, often people ask Jesus questions. They weren't trying to understand something spiritually. They were trying to justify a position, justify their sin, or do something else. In this case, Pilate is trying to get Jesus to say, yeah, I am a king. Because if he says that, then he can, by Roman law, put Jesus to death. Jesus, cleverly, doesn't do that, right? And so he says, no, 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 no. I was born and I came into the world. And we'll see this at the very end. But the testimony that he's talking about, to testify to the truth, he wants you to know that there's this one overarching truth that's most important in all of human history. And that is that Jesus came to die for your sins and that anyone who will believe upon him will be saved. And so no matter where you are in your life right now, if you're trying to figure out your relationship with God, and you're like, I don't know who to listen to, I don't know this or that, here's what you need to do. Not just listen to other people. You need to listen to what the scripture says. And basically everything in our faith is boiled down to who Jesus is and is he trustworthy? Because if he is who he says he is, that he's actually God who came to forgive our sins and that he's trustworthy, you would be foolish not to invest your life in it. There's a guaranteed return, eternal life you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born was to testify with what I just told you. Everyone, by the way, on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate responds right here, verse 38, what is truth? What is truth? With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him at all. In other words, I don't know why you guys brought him. He's not claiming to be a king. So, Pilate's response is really telling because Pilate's response, although an ancient response, is the modern-day response of tolerance. It's the modern-day response. I got my truth. The Jews have their truth. Jesus, you have your truth. What is truth? And that's ultimately what the modern-day view of truth turns into. There is no such thing as truth. If you have your truth and I have my truth and they have their truth and we have our own truth, we're never, as a society, going to be able to get along. We're never, as a society, going to be able to take next steps toward each other. It seems tolerant until it becomes important. Watch this. When it becomes important, that's when it matters most because the stakes are high. Because what we believe has real-world outcomes, has real-world consequences. And so when he says, you are, he says what, is, what is truth, he's saying, we can't really find the truth. Whatever you think is the truth is what you think is the truth. Whatever I think is the truth, whatever they think is the truth, there is no truth. Jesus doesn't answer the question because he's not really seeking an answer. John 14, 6, Jesus talks about this truth again. He says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So notice the things that he said. I'm the path that you're going to walk. I'm the path that you're going to walk, Jesus. I am the truth that you're going to live, and I am the life that you will inherit one day eternally. Those are the three things that he gives to us. He gives us the path to walk, the truth to believe, and the life to that we're going to live forever and ever and ever. But look at this right here, because this is something that, especially for those of you who are new to church or trying to figure stuff out, this is what you don't like right here. I'm just gonna put it out here. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's exclusive. And you go, well, it's exclusive, man. I don't like that. Can't there be like 10,000 paths? That's exactly why he did it. Because he didn't wanna offer you 10,000 paths and say, figure it out. Because again, what we believe as Christians is we believe, and this is for you as a Christian and if you're not a Christian. But we believe, that the, we believe that God is not just this distant sky God that is invisible. We actually believe that he's a heavenly father and that that father desires good for our life, blessing for our life. He desires for us to walk in wholeness, beauty, and goodness. That's his desire for us. And the closer that we walk to him, we inherit those things. Why? Because that is what he is. God is ultimately peaceful and ultimately happy and ultimately joyful. The more we are like him, the more we are that way. So what you need to know is that he's not trying to hide from you Ever. Whether you've walked with Jesus for 30 years, 50 years, or you haven't yet started your walk with Jesus, God's not hiding from you. He's making his path as clear as possible. And that is, I'm gonna come down and fix things for you. And he came down in the person of Jesus and he fixed things for us. He gave us eternal life for anyone who believes, everyone who believes. If you want it, it is there for the taking. The question is, again, is Jesus trustworthy? Will he do what he says he's going to do? Well, guys, listen, we, we've been talking about this in terms of relationships, but we can talk about it in the context that we can talk about now. And that is, I've said for a matter of four or five weeks, every relationship has boundaries. And it doesn't matter, I, I don't like these terms at all, and we don't talk politics here, but I don't like the terms because I don't really honestly think they mean anything anymore, but the most conservative person and the most liberal person, wherever, wherever they fall on that spectrum in this room, here's what you need to know, you have boundaries somewhere. Everyone might draw those boundaries in different places in their life and with their relationships, but here's what you know. We all have boundaries, and because we have boundaries, there's something inside of the reason why we have boundaries is because there's something inside each of us that acknowledges there is something called truth, that that truth is important, that if we don't draw lines, people will get hurt. For example, every one of us can probably agree with the following statements. Country music sucks. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. You know what we don't do? We don't let sex offenders teach children at school. We don't do it. Why? Well, what if my truth is I think that's fine? You go, you're crazy. We're not gonna do that. Why? Because beliefs have real world consequences. And so it really matters what we believe. And then we don't let 40-year-old men marry 10-year-old girls. Why? Because it's destructive to her. And honestly, I would argue it's destructive to him too. It's terrible. We all agree that those are true because there is this thing called truth. It's not a matter of opinion. Opinions are blue and red. This, on the other hand, is truth. We don't let people with a 1.5 GPA graduate from Harvard, because you don't want dumb doctors. When he tells you you have cancer, you need to have cancer. Kelly and I were actually in um, the hospital one time, and the doctor came in and said, hey, um, I have really bad news for you. And we were like, "Uh uh-oh. And uh, he said to Kelly, you have cancer. And we were just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, if you've experienced that, you know what that's like. It's, It's just like all of these things you have out here as concerns, they all just come like narrowing down to this one thing. Now your whole life is about this one thing. 20 minutes later, a nurse practitioner came back in and said, I'm so sorry to tell you. The doctor read the wrong chart. And I was like, you don't need to be sorry. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you. But he then had to go and tell someone else. So there are lines for us, right? There, There are lines because there are real world consequences for the things that we believe. In the Hebrew culture, in order for them to be able to make sure that truth was told, that these lines were clear, you had to have a witness of three different people, verses seven and eight. For there are three that testify. The Holy Spirit, The water and the blood, and all three are in agreement. An agreement what? That Jesus is who He said He was, and that Scripture, and that He is trustworthy, and that He is trustworthy. In fact, we get uh, an example of this law from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the part of the Old Testament in the Bible where it lays down all of the Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen says this: One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's not the same today. A little law school here, right? When you go, when you go to, uh, if, if you and I were to say, I wanna testify in court, what do they do? Well, today they would say, we want you to come in, put your right hand up, put your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I get all of my legal knowledge from law and order. And, uh, and the answer to that is yes. Yes, I'll do that, right? Well, why do they do that? Like, why the Bible? Because what we're doing is we're swearing to an authority that's bigger than ourselves. We're saying, you can trust me because... This is serious for me. The, in the Jewish world, in the Hebrew world, they said, this is serious because three of us have come against the one. This is why, by the way, also in the Bible, it says not to bear false testimony against someone else because it has massive consequences to do so. So we go bring it all the way back. Today, we have the same kind of thing happening all the time. Like you'll hear people just out in society, they'll say like they're like in conflict with one another, arguing with one another, they'll say something like this. No, no, it's true, man. They're like, no, I don't believe it's true. No, like, listen, I swear on my mother's grave, it's true. And that's supposed to somehow settle the issue. Why? Because this is serious. This is my mom. This is her crave. I don't know what it means if you lie, but you're not supposed to, right? Or we just walk around in our culture today and someone's telling the truth. It'll be like, that never happened. I swear to God it did. Absolutely, why? Because that puts an end to it, why? Because what we're doing is we're appealing to authority that's higher than ourselves. We're not saying, just take my word for it. We're saying, you gotta take the word of my mom. You gotta take the word of the Bible. You gotta take the word of God himself. God is watching over this. But who does God swear to? I mean, when God gets angry, is he like, oh, my me? <laughs> you know, like, like what, like who? Actually, yes, is the answer to that question. Because when God does what he does, he can't swear to someone, be, some being higher than himself because he is, by definition, the highest being. God swears according to his character and his nature. You see, God's character and nature is different than ours. I mean, we may have the best intentions. I've been married in December for 30 years. 30 years. I know. That was so feeble. We're like, 30 years, yeah, whatever. Um, 30 years. And, uh, you know, there have been times when Kelly's disappointed me. That's all I was going to say. And there were times when I disappointed her and we love each other with all of our heart, right? It's because sometimes we lack character and we don't follow through. And in this case, God's trustworthiness is based upon the fact that there is nothing greater and bigger and larger than him because his character is perfect. He is absolutely trustworthy because he can do nothing else. Can God, is there something in the world that God cannot do? Yes or no? Yes and no all over the place. Why? Well, because there is something that he can't do. The Bible says he can't lie, right? So God will do everything that is consistent with his character and never violate his character. There are times when we say, I'll do this for you, and we don't do it. We'll just lack character in that moment. Not that we hate the other person or not that we don't even love them. It's just like, we just take shortcuts sometimes. God never takes a shortcut with your life. In fact, when he he deals with Abraham and, and he swears to Abraham that he's going to give him a son, the son is Isaac, he says this, he says in Hebrews 6.13, when God made his promise, when God swore his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I swear by my perfect character that what follows will happen. And there are two things that God has and possesses that you can count on that make sure that everything he promises you will come to true to reality. Number one, we've already talked about, he doesn't lie. He's never going to tell you something to lie. Number two, he's all powerful, which means that he's able to accomplish everything that he says he's going to do. Nothing can come against him. Nothing can trick him. Nothing can fool him. Nothing by force can, can, can uh, knock him off track. He's all powerful. You know, sometimes even people come with great, uh, great intentions. They're like, I'm gonna do this for you. And, and you're like, that's fantastic. And their, their heart is to do it. But because they don't actually possess the power to make the outcome that they promised happen, they disappoint. God is not like that for you. He will never disappoint you when he promises you something. Now the key is, did he really promise the thing that you think he promised you? We find ourselves often assuming that God's going to do certain things for us when he never promised them. Then we get angry at God and we go, God, why didn't you do this for me? And he's like, because I didn't tell you I was going to. Verse 14, talking to Abraham. Abraham, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, after God told him this, Abraham received what was promised. Right? He was given his son, Isaac. It took him almost 10 years. Sometimes God says, I'm going to bring this to your life. I'm going to bring a child. I'm going to bring a husband. I'm going to bring a wife. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring financial security. I'm going to bring whatever it is that He promises. Like if whatever He says, I, I'm going to promise I'm going to bring this. It may not happen overnight. God's timing is absolutely perfect, but it's not ours. It's one of the most frustrating things about following the Lord. You're like, anytime now, Lord. And He's like, when I'm ready. <laughs> Numbers 29. Uh, 23, 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie. Notice that he attributes that to human beings. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does God speak and then not act? No, is the answer. He always does what he says he's going to do. Does he promise and not fulfill? No, he always does what he swears to do. See Hebrews six sixteen says people swear by someone greater than themselves. I swear on the Bible. I swear to God. I swear to my mom's grave. And the oath confirms what is said, and it puts an end to the argument. Verse eighteen. Skip verse seventeen. Verse eighteen says God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled take hold of the hope set before us, and we may be greatly encouraged. Because God does not lie. that's what this means? Because God does not lie, we have hope, and we are encouraged you can trust him. Whether you've never trusted him before or you've been trusting him for 50 years, you can trust him. Always take that next step. And here's where the whole thing ends. With blessing, with a promise of eternal life. Whoever believes in the son of God and accepts this testimony, whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony that God has given them about his son. And then verse 11, and this is the testimony This is what Jesus came to do, his life, his whole thing. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This is what you trust in. You don't trust in a preacher, a teacher, a celebrity, a politician. You trust in Jesus. Because when you trust in Jesus, you have life eternal. And he's not hiding from you. All you have to do is reach out and say, God, this is what I want. I want this life, the path that you, I want the life that you've given to me, the path I'm supposed to walk and the truth I'm supposed to hold. And he will give it to you. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. This is so important right here. This is my least favorite thing. It comes across in the scriptures. We have to know its truth because it's in the Bible over and over again. And that is that not everybody makes it. Not everybody makes the choice. And let me just tell you, this is the reason why we do what we do. Kelly and I sacrifice a lot to go into ministry to do what we're doing right now. But a main reason for why we do what we do is because we don't want people who are far from God and outside the kingdom of God to miss that day when everything will be healed in their life, when every problem solved, when every hope is fulfilled. I don't want anyone to miss that ever. The contrary to that, I don't know, fire, flames, all that, all that imagery, I don't, we don't know. But here's what I do know is that you will be exactly the same person you have always been in all of your brokenness forever and ever and ever. I don't want anyone to be the depressed person forever. I don't want anyone to be the anxious person forever. I don't want anyone to be the angry person forever. We have a chance to be healed. And all it requires for you is to reach out to him and say, I surrender. I want what you have for me. And last weekend, last weekend's we had a first steps weekend. We had 130 people take first-time steps towards Jesus last weekend. And that's the most important thing you did. If you made that decision last weekend, if you made that decision last weekend, keep coming, keep learning, keep growing. God is with you, amen? Jesus, we come before you right now and acknowledge that sometimes we struggle with your trustworthiness. I mean, if we're just transparent about that right now, We struggle with our dreams, our goals, the realities that we hold on to, the truths that we believe. And sometimes, God, it's hard for us to believe that you really are the good Father that has been described today. We ask right now, Lord, that you would just give us, give us an ability to see the truth, not the truth that's just lying within us, but the truth outside of us from your word. And Father, when we see the word differs from us in some way, Help us to have both the humility and the courage to choose your path. Because again, the more we walk your path, the more we are like you, the more happy, joyful, peaceful, and whole we will become. Lord, thank you that you gave Jesus to us. Forgive us that when you brought him into the world, we hanged him on a cross. But Father, we know that that was in and for your good purpose. That somehow, God, through the blood of Jesus, covering our life and our sin, We have eternal life. Thank you so much for that, God. Without it, none of us would make it. We're so grateful. It's in your name we pray, amen.